Welcome, everyone. This is the Advanced Sports Analytics slash Fantasy Labs podcast. I'm joined by Stuart Gibson and Peter Jennings. Peter, thank you for, for gracing our podcast today. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be with you guys. And uh, the Super Bowl is kind of the Super Bowl of betting right now, too. I mean, with all the props and different bets you can make and now the massive showdown contest that we have uh, highlighted by, I think, the best value in the industry on, on uh, Supergraph. I think you've graduated from Peter podcast to maybe the godfather of sports. So I'm glad you're, uh, you're back in the podcasting streets for a little bit. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And, and, and that's, uh, that's, that's too kind and, and certainly making some, it's some interesting moves, but uh, very focused on the Super Bowl. Uh, have made quite a few wagers already. And uh, I'm excited for the game theory of this. And I'm excited to, to pick Stuart's brain and your brain BA on uh, some of the strategies here. Well, we'll start big picture. So uh, big picture, I think you're one of the few people that have signed up for the, the Super Bowl contest on Superdraft. Um, I will be signing up, Stuart, I'm not sure, but uh, it is a complete no-brainer. I think the overlay on a nightly basis is 25 or 30,000, and that's shared among not many players. So um, it's the only site I know of in DFS right now where your average lineup is positive EV. They're overlaying quite big on their, on their NBA contests. Um, they're also running satellites into the big Super Bowl contests that are rake free. And many of those are overlaying as well. Uh, so the Super Bowl contest, they've got three big ones. They've got a uh, million dollar prize pool that's at a very high price point of 4K per player. That's 300,000 up top. Then um, they've got two large field tournaments where the overlay guarantees to be massive. Um, they're just sort of doing it intentionally to get lots of players on the site, but they have a $100,000 red zone. Um, that's $20 per player. And then a hundred thousand dollar hail Mary. That's $4 per player. Both of those are going to overlay massively. So basically um, it's worth everyone's time to invest in learning the new super draft game type and taking advantage of this overlay. They're also doing a special for the 4k max max entry is rake free. And then they have deposit bonuses on top of that. So it's a pretty, pretty great thing going on right now um the game type takes some getting used to the essence of it is that it's not a salary cap it's a multiplier so the the lower projected guys are getting a higher multiplier um and it's a very interesting structure because the way it typically works out is your your cash game type lineup, your high median projected lineup will tend to be your chalky guys that are going to perform like Mahomes, Brady Hill, like that. Um, but then those guys are not likely for you to win a tournament because you need the um, Sammy Watkins of the world that probably won't go off. But if they do go off, they go for a big number and then you get a big multiplier on those guys. Um and the, and the structure of the lineups, you have five spots, one champion spot, and 
on the champion spot, you get a 50% kicker on your multiplier. So it's a, it's a fun structure where um, I think some cool lineups really take a chance on that champion spot and sort of hope for the, the one big play from Sammy Watkins or Demarcus Robinson or something like that, or just take a chance on, on one of the running backs to get in the end zone a couple of times. Um, the baseline scoring is more of a more of a fan duel look where you have uh, touchdown heavy flavor, um, particularly like for running backs. It's a lot about touchdowns, but it gives it gives a cool look because if you want to punt, say uh, a touchdown from a tight end, it's it's not going to be a popular play, but if it hits, it's it's high payoff. So um, Stewart has looked at the data on these contests more than anyone. He uh, doesn't have absolute views on what you should do, but he has, he has some basic ideas. Stewart, maybe you could start from the, the 30,000 foot view. Well, unfortunately, the Superdraft uh, contests right now don't provide like retrospective CSVs where you can uh, download contest history and it hasn't been something that we've been tracking all year so was not able to get like uh, you know historic pricing and uh, contest actual well I mean we have contest actuals from data but not not so much with how people's rosters uh, looked so um, you know we had a bit of work to do to try to um, you know fortunately we did have Tampa Bay and Kansas City play earlier this year so it seemed like a valuable exercise to uh, you know, fit pretty much the actuals that were observed in that regular season game uh, with the multipliers that we currently have in this week. And there are certainly some flaws in doing that. Um, you know, we did have, I think, all three Kansas City running backs were active that game. So that's that's good. But, you know, we've seen kind of Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette flip in terms of role. Um, and the pricing reflects that, you know, Jones up at 1.95x and Fournette, I believe down like 1.7, 1.75. And, you know, Gronk had kind of this significant role during the regular season that has been fading of late. So his, uh, you know, multiplier of 2.3 is really more reflective of the role he's at now. Um, and then, of course, that was that massive Tyreek game where, uh, you know, when we look at what the optimal lineups would have looked like under current multiplication conditions, you know, Tyreek Hill is just champion everything. I think he had like that 200 plus uh, three touchdown game. Uh, difficult to really project that on a week over week basis. Uh, but I think for me, like what I was interested in is what is typically the kind of average multiplier that optimal lineups look like, you know, because there is no salary cap, you can go ahead and play, you know, just all the best players, right? Mahomes, uh, Brady, Hill, Kelsey, you know, Evans or something and just call it a day. And, you know, that can work in cash, I think, because, you know, these players with low multipliers just have such a high floor. They're at essentially no risk of putting up zero fantasy points, but because they don't have a very high multiplier attached to them, it's really hard for any of those guys to get to a massively, you know, a massive ceiling uh, or maybe, you know, one like in the, and we saw uh, in the regular season game, you know, Hill can get to that ceiling game, but maybe Kelsey can't also get there. Um, and really for that type of lineup to win in tournaments, you really just need like all the low multiplier plays to do next to nothing or, you know, no touchdowns go to 
any guys like Antonio Brown or Gronk or, you know, Robinson or Hardman or one of the kind of the high multiplier running backs. And, you know, I think to me, that just seems unlikely to happen. Um, so, you know, for tournament play, I think you're going to want to try to find, you know, at least one, maybe two, um, you know, high multiplier guys. And I don't mean high, like in the, you know, the maximum multiplier is like three for the, you know, Marcus Kemp, uh, you know, Garrett Dieter, uh, Tyler Johnson types, not saying so much there, but, you know, seeking out some guys that are close to two, uh, either on the plus or minus side and sprinkling them in. Um, when we apply the outcome of their week 12 regular season matchup to the multipliers that we currently have for the Super Bowl, uh, of the top 20 optimal lineups that could have been created uh, from that, you know, observed outcome, we saw the average multiplier was uh, almost 1.8 X. So, um, and that is considering the, you know, plus 50% boost on the champion. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, we, it doesn't really seem that feasible to just like jam in all the one to 1.4 X guys and feel that we have a chance of, you know, scaling to the top of like a large field uh, that can work in cash um, and maybe in cash, you know, there might be hesitance to take on some of these high multiplier guys like Demarcus Robinson or, uh, you know, Hardman or one of the Kansas city running backs who like legit have a zero fantasy point probability within their range of outcomes. You know, you can take a shot on these guys and get zero, which will really hurt you in cash. Um, but, you know, they are worth taking a shot on in tournaments because, you know, they have these these large multipliers attached to, um, you know, their 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 roster slot. Um, you know, I think with five roster slots available in the uh, Super Draft single game format compared to six on DraftKings, I was particularly interested in how, um, I guess, like how wide uh, rosters could get, you know, in I think DraftKings, you have opportunities to roster like two quarterbacks in the same lineup because you have six players to work with because there are salary cap constraints. And, um, you know, in, in some games, you have opportunities to really get, you know, good value at kind of the low price point. But, you know, when you're, when you're rostering two quarterbacks uh, in a five-player uh, lineup, you know, you're really not leaving yourself that much room for skill players that are likely to benefit if the quarterback succeeds. And when some of those skill players have significantly higher multipliers, like Mahomes and uh, Brady are the two lowest multipliers on the slate, you do kind of need, I think, some unique circumstances to warrant the two quarterback lineup. Um, you know, I think running quarterbacks maybe help that two quarterback lineup where you have a, at least one quarterback that can produce significant fantasy points at the exclusion of any of their pass catchers. Um, I think is noteworthy. Optimals will tend, at least in, in our optimals, you know, we have like 60% of the 20 optimals produced by our current projections as having double quarterback. Um, while that provides a good floor, I think, for cash games, uh, when we apply the regular season outcome to the current uh, pricing, you know, only saw 30% of the top 20 lineups with double quarterback. I thought it was interesting. Um, and granted, that game did just have like, Kansas City super condensed around Hill and Mahomes, but uh, the lineup build kind of was skewed a little towards Tampa Bay. And I think our optimals actually uh, skew a little more towards Tampa Bay, maybe suggesting there's a little better pricing on that side. Um, I think how to handle kickers is an interesting consideration 
uh, Suckup and Bucker have multipliers above two. They have, you know, pretty good, like, you know, floors, right? The, the routes to them getting zero fantasy points are cl- quite slim, uh, but by virtue of kicker scoring, you know, they, they don't have access to massive, massive ceilings. Um, they figure to be pretty strong cash game plays, uh, given that kind of non-zero floor. Um, but when compared to the actuals observed in the regular season, we only saw kickers sneaking into 25% of optimal lineups with that uh, outcome that occurred in week 12. Um, I don't know. So these are some, some things that we're kind of, I guess I'm poking around with to try to get a sense of what is the optimal build. Um, Cause I don't think it's immediately obvious and uh, definitely continuing to try to spend some time to think about how, uh, we want to allocate roster spots to different positions. Um, I'm not sure if you guys, you know, I think as kind of game theory experts have any ideas on, yeah, how willing we might be to go like double quarterback, how willing we might be to consider a kicker position and kind of, you know, what, what is, is there any kind of target multipliers that you're chasing? Um, not so much chasing, but I guess multiplier rules that you want to keep in mind, like preventing yourself from having a cumulative multiplication that, is excessively low um, and preventing yourself from multiplication, cumulative multiplication that's excessively high. Yeah, well, go ahead, BA. Sorry, I just wanted to jump in for a moment to uh, point out that the Advanced Sports Analytics Super Draft Optimizer is a free product at advancedsportsanalytics.com. And it's kind of been the nuts for all things Super Draft. Um, it's, it's really, really good. It has, um, all of the features that you would want from an optimizer. You can exclude, you can do bounces on certain players. You can do player groups, you can do whatever you want, but just the raw optimizer is, is a very, very good product. Um, so I'd recommend everyone check that out. Um, and then one thing I'll say before I, I, turn it over to Pete. Um, The one clear cut thing that jumps out at me is it seems to me a very high likelihood that because of the relatively high multipliers on the running backs, it's a, it's a very, there's a very good chance that the winning tournament lineup will be, um, one of Fournette Jones or Edward Tolaire at the champion position. And then um, probably one quarterback and then other skill players. I've, I really, I really feel just playing around with some scenarios that it's, it's a high likelihood that the, that the winning lineup looks like that. Um, Pete, I'll, I'll drop it off to you. Yeah. Well, definitely check out the ASA optimizer. Really cool. And uh, kudos to you guys again on the deal. Great to see uh, just kind of the, the burgeoning uh, industry that we're, you know, that's being boosted by uh, all the competition on the operator space. And uh, as a DFS player and someone who's passionate about the industry, it's great that we have a legitimate, um, you know, competitor. I mean, Superdraft is clearly going after it. Like you outlined, BA, uh, they are spending money and they're, uh, acquiring customers and they are not willing or they are willing to uh, you know basically invest in the player pool by by doing this overlay and uh, these contests so that's great as a DFS player and I think it's great for the industry and 
Uh, it's fun to just kind of see the growth. Um, in terms of this contest specifically, uh, Stuart hit on something that I thought was really interesting. And uh, I obviously haven't spent a ton of time on the platform, but I'm really excited about it. And my first thought was, yeah, Mahomes and Brady don't have rushing upside. And you start playing out the scenarios where they have big games. Um, it's going to be heavily correlated with their pass catchers. And specifically, um, you know, the pass catchers have really big multipliers. And I think Antonio Brown and Sammy Watkins status uh, are really important. It sounds like Sammy Watkins, I think, is definitely going to play. Or not definitely, but, you know, on the very probable side, Brown is just legitimately questionable and we'll see what happens with the COVID stuff as well. But those multipliers are significant and, and really important. So when you start thinking about lineups with Brady and Mahomes and, and how those work together, uh, you really have to consider the correlation with the pass catchers and the multipliers that they have. And then BA, you bring up a really good point. Uh, one of my first thoughts was let's get away from Fournette, who I think everyone assumes is going to get the majority of the work. Um, Ronald Jones had some injuries, maybe a little bit of drama. I don't know how much people are reading into it, how much it actually impacted his playing time. It sounds like he was legitimately hurt pregame the week that he missed um, with a quad injury. But with more time, he was the prominent back. Um, you know, Fournette's obviously better in the passing game, but from a rushing standpoint, uh, I do think Jones is, is really interesting. So uh, I started looking at lineups in that regard. And the other element that I think is interesting is Tampa Bay was incredible versus the run. Uh, one of the most stout run defenses that we saw all season. Uh, so in theory, you're, you're kind of worried about Kansas City running the football, but Tampa Bay knows that, Kansas City knows that. So how does that play out? And you also have the factor that Kansas City's biggest weakness going into this game is their offensive line, where they've been riddled with injuries, including an Achilles injury to Fisher uh, in the AFC Championship game. So um, there's a lot of game theory. There's a lot of strategy and figuring out how you think the game's going to play out and within this contest i mean especially in the 4k you're going to have sharper players what are most people going to do so uh it's a fascinating game theory um kind of experiment and uh it's fun to invest in and, and i'm certainly excited to fire but yeah in terms of like my original thesis uh i thought about the quarterbacks and mahomes certainly has more rushing upside brady i guess could have like a quarterback sneak into the end zone but for the most part, they're so correlated with their pass catchers that have these big, uh, you know, multipliers. And then the running backs uh, have really good multipliers. So trying to figure out how that all works together, uh, we're all kind of in sync in terms of the game theory of it. Um, I do have some individual takes that we can get to, but I uh, wanted to kick it back to Stuart in terms of uh, some thoughts that you have. Yeah, Stuart, why don't you go over the splits, uh, Fisher in versus Fisher out? Yeah, so I mean, I think the Fisher thing is something that a lot of people are going to talk about this week. Um, I was kind of digging into it, looking at how Kansas City performed with Fisher in versus Fisher out. Of course, uh, Fisher missed, I think, eight games in 2019, kind of the middle of the season. Um, I was a bit surprised that, you know, I, I was thinking like Pro Bowl left tackle, you would figure would just massively hurt. Uh, I think macro level, just like Kansas City as an offense, um, I guess the data would suggest that not to be the case. Um, I haven't looked closely at like DVP metrics of the teams that, uh, Kansas city played with Fisher in versus Fisher out. But I mean, just listing the teams out, you know, you have some pretty strong defenses, Baltimore, 2019, you know, Denver's 2019 defense, um, you know, Houston, 2019 defense, like, you know, I don't think they necessarily had a cakewalk and, 
you know, looking at their scoring in 2019 with Fisher in, they averaged 29, uh, almost 30 points a game with Fisher out uh, just a tick over 29 uh, team points per game. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, with Fisher out 27 uh, points per game with Fisher in in 2019, uh, just over 29. They had uh, 30 points per game combined with Fisher in between 2019 and 2020. But um, I think the Kansas City offense has been a little more productive this year as a whole. I mean, that, you know, it looks like Fisher, you know, maybe is only worth like two points per game. I'm not really sure how significant that is um, from a DFS standpoint. To me, it doesn't seem like a massive uh, margin. I thought it was interesting, maybe just coincidence. You know, I don't really know how the absence of a left tackle would affect defensive play, but uh, Kansas City in 2019 with Fisher out allowed an average of 25 plus points per game, only 12 points per game with Fisher in. Uh, I know that Kansas City defense kind of started picking up steam towards the end of the year. Um, so maybe that's the case. Uh, we did see Kansas City pass um, a bit more with Fisher out. Uh, I think that's probably just in large part due to their margin of victory. You know, they were an average of 17 point winners when Fisher is in compared to one and a half roughly when Fisher was out. Um, you know, I was looking just at like Mahomes passing splits uh, between 2019 with Fisher in and out, um, you know, slightly higher, about 3% higher completion rate with Fisher out, uh, slightly higher touchdown rate, uh, slightly higher interception rate with Fisher in, um, I think probably just noise there. You know, sack rate, really not much of a difference, uh, slightly under more pressure with Fisher in, uh, Mahomes was hurried 11.24% uh, of the time compared to 10% of the time uh, with Fisher out. I'm sorry. So that would mean that he was under more pressure um, with Fisher in. So like, I do think there will be this narrative that, and of course, you know, maybe this is just like game flow. I think there is kind of a very big difference in the scripts that Kansas city was in, but, you know, I think there will be a lot of discussion about the impact of Eric Fisher being out and like, Logically, it would make sense that that would be a pretty big, uh, you know, hole for Kansas City to fill. Um, of the data we have, it doesn't really appear that Mahomes took a massive hit in efficiency, um, you know, yards before carry. Uh, I'm sorry, yards before contact, not noticing like huge differences uh, between Fisher out and in. So, you know, I do wonder if there will be a... Uh, I don't know, shift towards the Tampa Bay side if there is massive fear of the impact that Eric Fisher's absence uh, brings. And, you know, you talk about Fournette, I think, as being a guy who's just presented really great value. Um, you know, his value is kind of most likely to be realized in a play from behind uh, scenario. And, you know, if we do want to seek exposure to him, uh, it would make sense that we would want to get some, uh, you know, big big, big players on the Kansas city side. So, you know, I do wonder if maybe the approach is uh, if people are going to be fearing Mahomes and the Kansas city passing attack on account of Fisher's injury, uh, you know, maybe the approach is to heavy up on Kansas city passing, assume that they play quite efficiently. And we know that Tampa Bay has this excellent run defense, um, you know, work on the assumption that Kansas city will score most of their uh, actual and fantasy points through the air um, and then seek out, uh, past catchers, I guess, on the Tampa Bay side that stand to benefit, um, 
you know, from that play from behind script. Fournette seems like one of those guys picking one of the receivers or tight ends on Tampa Bay, uh, you know, feels like a route we could go and then maybe seek to get different with, uh, you know, some of the high multiplier Kansas city receivers. Again, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty around injuries with uh, Watkins and Demarcus Robinson's COVID status um, or get different with some of the Tampa Bay pass catchers. But um I don't know. That's kind of the way I'm looking at some of this Fisher stuff. Um, if the field is going to react heavily to, uh, you know, Fisher's absence, maybe it's a good opportunity to, uh, you know, heavy up on Kansas City passing and hope that we're getting them uh, at an underowned uh, rate on account of this injury. Yeah, from a game theory perspective, I think that makes sense. I think the interesting thing, just looking at it as a whole, and this is what makes NFL DFS so uh, nuanced and fun, is that. You have all these scenarios that are really correlated uh, that you just don't have data on. So the Chiefs have had a ton of offensive line history, issues throughout the season. I mean, they lost Osemele. They lost Mitchell Schwartz. Their other tackle was a really good player. Uh, they've brought in, you know, first, you know, or I guess, uh, I believe uh, Niang um, was like a third round pick. Um, and then they have, you know, guys that are basically, you know, picked up off waivers and, they've had a mismatch of offensive linemen kind of play for them, given all the injuries they've had. So the Fisher injury, I think is challenging to evaluate in a vacuum and look at past uh, data. Although I do think it's helpful. And I think Stuart, what you, what you talked about is certainly something worth looking at, but uh, continuity at the offensive line is something I think is undervalued and they don't have it. Um, but that being said, they've dealt with a lot of adversity already this year. And because they have so many talented players on the offense, and they have Patrick McCombs, who's a generational player, they've been able to still be an elite offense. So figuring out how that's all going to play is really interesting. And one thesis I have, which I think is really fun uh, for Superdraft uh, and these contests in general, is I expect the Chiefs to do a ton of motion. They started doing that a lot uh, this year. I think part of that was because of the offensive line. And we saw a ton of success with it uh, in the playoffs. I mean, they're running Tyreek, McCole Hardman in motion all the time. Uh, even fake running in motion, the one going the other way. And I think they're going to try to do that to basically put Tampa Bay's defense uh, in a position where they have to defend their elite skill players in space. And that to me is something Andy Reid's a genius with. And we've seen all these iterations and counters off that. So I do think there's actually some interesting opportunity for rushes or like those like jump passes to McCall Hardman and Tyreek Hill. Um, and I expect that to be a big part of Kansas city's game plan. So I do think that's an interesting little wrinkle uh, for, for how Kansas City is going to play. And uh, the one thing I'm trying to think about, and I'm curious, BA, who I know you have a lot of game theory expertise, and it's sometimes tricky to evaluate these, but Kansas City knows Tampa Bay is really good against the run. Tampa Bay knows that Kansas City is thinking that they're really good against the run. So how do you expect that to play out? And, and what are your thoughts on kind of that motion that I was talking about? And I'm curious if you notice the same thing. Yeah, I... I... I will take the simple approach and say that uh, because Tampa Bay is strong against the run, I, I will not play much Kansas City running. And I, I do believe that for the Super Draft Contest, a, a reasonable rule is um, if you're going to play the quarterback in the champion position, then have no running backs. I think it's a reasonable rule because with with only five spots to fill, you do have a limited number of skill positions. And with 
the super draft scoring, which is quite touchdown dependent. Um, if you're going to have the quarterback in the skill position, I think a fair, a, a fair number of people will try Mahomes at the champion position, which is a fine play, but for him to win that position, he's going to have to have a huge game, massive game. And the different receivers, right? That huge yeah. game all thrown to Tyreek. Tyreek's the, yeah. game, the champion. Yeah. Um, he's got to have a massive game. So I think what you want that to look like is you want Mahomes where you're like, you're really playing for like four, four touchdowns, maybe even five touchdowns, 350 kind of thing. And you want to try to get three pass catchers in there and then maybe come back with a Godwin or something like a, like a high likelihood Tampa Bay receiver um, and avoid the running game altogether because um, it's not like DraftKings where you're, you're going to get there on like a, like a hundred yard receiving seven catch game from someone. It's, it's, you need touchdowns. And, and if you're betting on Mahomes, you're betting that he's getting all of those passing touchdowns. And you're just saying that the running is not going to be important. And, and I do think that in those games, um, you, you will win from the scenario being a pass heavy, productive Casey offense. And you'll have a lot of lineups dead because I think a lot of lineups will rationally try to pick one of Edward Solaire, Fournette, or Jones for their champion spot and then roll the rest from there. Because I, as I said, I do like that lineup construction just because with their very high multipliers, there's a, there's a decent chance that one of those running backs ends up on the winning team. Yeah, it's fascinating. Stuart, what, is, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I do have some fears, especially on the Kansas City side, that some of these, I mean, particularly Bell and Williams, like these guys have, you know, zero floors. I, I, to me, I don't know that I have a great read on what, um, you know, Andy Reid's going to do with the backfield. Um, and I don't know, for the risk that you're taking in rostering like a Lev Bell or um, Daryl Williams, like you're not getting a massive, massive multiplier. I mean, Bell only has... Uh, what 0.1x on say Ronald Jones and Williams, I think is what a two one. So, um, you know, these are guys with like true zero floors, uh, you know, who depending on game plan, you know, might not even see the field. Um, so I do think it does kind of center, the discussion does center around Fournette Jones um, and Edwards Hilaire. You know, I do wonder, um, you know, we, we discussed kind of routes to quarterback getting there in the absence of, his receivers not, you know, overtaking uh, him in value is rushing upside. Um, you know, we have seen, I think, particularly the Kansas City side uh, that, you know, Reed can get tricky around the goal line with passes to offensive linemen, uh, utilization of Sherman in the passing game. I mean, to me, these seem like very edge cases, but still non-zero cases where Mahomes could, you know, essentially generate passing touchdowns to players that 
just aren't, uh, you know, within kind of the player pool for the vast, vast majority of players. I mean, if, if there's no Eric Fisher, you know, we might see uh, Kansas City utilize more of their pass blocking tight ends, setting up potential, just like, you know, goofy kind of play action, uh, one yard touchdown type passes. Um, does seem like a potential route to Mahomes kind of reaching a true ceiling without, say, Kelsey or uh, Tyreek uh, receiving kind of the bulk of that production. I mean, does that seem like a viable, uh, you know, path to Mahomes champion, or is it just kind of too thin in some of these uh, small to medium uh, contest fields? I think it adds up personally. And I, I mean, we saw Mahomes with the bad toe rush in some critical moments. Uh, and even he ran on kind of a running, you know, quarterback running option late in the game where the game was basically over. Kansas City's 99% plus to win. And he still ran and obviously he ran a lot last year. So I think the culmination of all those things makes it really interesting. My question is, B.A., if you had to guess, what percent of uh, lineups in the 4K do you think will have Mahomes a captain? Um, what percent will have Mahomes a, a champion? champion? I think um, 20%. Just, just because... It's a tough, I think it'll be a field where obviously 4K per lineup, you're going to spend a lot of time looking at it. And I feel like that's approximately the correct answer. I, what, what do you think, Stuart? What, what do you think? Ownership in the 4K? I don't know. I, you know, I, I, um, I don't have as much experience in kind of these high stakes uh, contests. So I have less of a read. To me, 20% seems low. I would guess higher um that's just my lean um yeah unfortunately like you know superdraft doesn't provide the historical csvs on contests so you know i could easily like go back and look up what percentages of kind of these top tier quarterbacks have been but uh unless you've been paying close attention to uh you know just contest ownership on your phone or something uh hard to get a great beat on uh to me my inclination would be though a bit more than 20 percent um, I don't know, just my, just my lean though. My sense is over too. And, and part of my reasoning and, and BA, obviously, you know, the platform better than me, but given that receivers, uh, receptions are worth half a point, you know, the paths where Tyreek and Kelsey, specifically Kelsey, I mean, a lot of, he's been unbelievably consistent. Uh, you look through his game log, it's just been uh, the model of consistency. We're looking at double digit targets, basically every game. Uh, for the last, whatever, 10 weeks or so. I think he had one game where he had eight targets, but uh, he's just filling it up. Um, but he's not going for 200 yards. Tyreek Hill, there's that path. And obviously the, the one game you can point to is the game against Tampa Bay where he goes, he goes for 200 yards in like the first quarter. Um, so there are more paths where Tyreek is just a clear slam dunk top scoring player, especially with the 1.4 X multiplier. But it's a little trickier for Kelsey and, you know, I, I think Sammy Watkins is really interesting at his multiplier, but uh, with the half point per reception, a little bit more equity for the quarterbacks and then also touchdowns just become so valuable. So, you know, there's obviously cases where Kelsey and Hill are, are the highest scoring, specifically Hill, but uh, I think the yardage is so important and then they have to catch the majority of the touchdowns and hope that Mahomes doesn't have a rushing touchdown or throw to one of the fringe guys like Stewart mentioned. So I would say over 20, but, I, you know, you have way more experience, BA. Yeah, I I could easily see over twenty. Um, 
my my intuition is simply that to to play him um you have to think that he's a relatively high probability to win the champion spot um you it's a multiplier framework you don't care about salary cap so you you're simply trying to win the champion spot. I would say that you kind of need to do that even in a relatively small field like the the 4K. Um, and I think that his probability, it would be interesting if we simulated this, Stuart, but I would think that his probability of winning the champion spot would be low 20s. Um, he, he's not popping into too many of our optimals as the champion. Um, simply because we are a fairly bullish on Brady and our projections um, as well as some, and, and I mean, Fournette as well. Um, you know, and I, I think we haven't really discussed that, you know, simply put like Mahomes is one X while there are a lot of other really talented players that, you know, have pretty high multipliers. Um, so would you, would you say that it probably is like, if you played the game many times, he would, probably win that champion spot maybe low 20s um yeah i mean that that sounds reasonable i would guess that the probability is probably lower than the ownership would be on him and uh at least to me it seems if that's the case trying to you know find someone else to champion probably makes sense um you know the tough part is i think with kansas city you know it's pretty clear that you probably are going to want to pick one of Kelsey or Hill. Although, you know, the, the multiplier on Watkins is, you know, significant. Um, you know, I think that's one place you could go. Um, you know, or let me give Peter a prop just to just, this will give us decent intuition on the, on the probability that Mahomes is the top scorer. Um, all right. Your prop Peter is Edwards Hilaire for net or Jones, one of those three players scores two touchdowns or more in the game? Um, I would have an answer for that, actually. Uh, hold on, I can pull up. Uh, um, I think it's more likely on the Tampa Bay side by a large margin. Um, my sense is it's still a dog for that to happen, but I like the running backs as multipliers. And I, and I my next question would be about Brady, but I can answer that. I am very, my it's probably, a, it's probably a very small dog for that to happen. That, that, right? My sense is like 40, 45%. But my, okay. But so, so in that case, in, in that case, that 45% of the time, um, that player that scores two touchdowns is winning the champion spot. I'm right. Unless, unless somehow, and I think it's more like, but like Fournette, Brady could still be champion if Fournette has two touchdowns and like 40 yards, including one of them being thrown to him and Brady throws for like four or five touchdowns or whatever, but it's pretty, it's, those are very edge cases. I think Fournette's more correlated with like a more likely to have a receiving touchdown. I think Ronald Jones and Brady, you want completely separate. And Ronald Jones is obviously a much bigger gambler, uh, a much bigger, gam much bigger gamble. Uh, a lot of people are going to make the assumption that Fournette's going to be the guy and he's certainly better in pass protection and, He's in all the scripts where they're playing from behind. But in the event you want to go more Tampa Bay onslaught, I could see the argument for a lineup like 
um, Jones, Captain, Brady, maybe even Fournette, both of them together, or some, some Tampa Bay onslaught than with like Mahomes running it back or some receiver in Kansas City running it back. Like the game flow where Tampa Bay overwhelms Kansas City's offensive line. We see kind of a average game for Mahomes, much below average for his expectation and Tampa Bay wins by 10 points or something. There are those scenarios. And I think you get that lineup like really low owned. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to do the Kansas City onslaught. My sense is low owned on the Tampa Bay onslaught, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking my intuition is actually that Mahomes would be champion less than, less than 20% of the time, just less than 20% of the time. I just think like, you say 45% one of those running backs scores two touchdowns. That's 45% of the time that your champion is a running back. Then Brady, who's getting at the champion spot, 1.8 multiplier versus 1.5 for Mahomes is a slightly worse play, but he's still probably 15% to be the champion versus Mahomes 20% or maybe whatever, four somewhere around there, mid teens. And then, um, and then you've got 20% that it's, it's Hill Godwin or, or Evans. Um, Maybe even higher. I mean, Hill has a real shot at Kelsey. I mean, I think Kelsey sets up better if it's PPR, but the pass catchers are really interesting. And we've seen specifically with Tampa Bay, sometimes they take advantage of specific matchups and we've seen, you know, um, and spread the ball around. We've also seen Brady hone in on one specific player uh, in, in games as well. And the Antonio Brown entry is, is really noteworthy uh, for their offense. I mean, if he's in, uh, that really kind of complicates which pass catchers you want to use and how much allocation you're going to give to Brown. And, you know, do you bump up, like, what do you do with Scotty Miller and Gronk? Do you want to get contrarian with them? If he's out, all of a sudden, all those other pieces get bumped up way more and you start seeing those guys in more lineups. So, uh, that's fascinating to me. And I, I, you know, Stewart's hit on it. I brought it up. Sammy Watkins stands out like a sore thumb, uh, just from a game theory standpoint, I think he's going to play sounds more probable than anything to me. And, you know, you look through his distribution of outcomes, like he has some real ceiling games in him, especially at that multiplier. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he's, uh, yeah, one of the more mispriced guys in the slate. Um, you know, I think just talking more about the Tampa Bay side, uh, I think it's interesting Tampa Bay because they have such high, you know, higher multipliers than Kansas city really across the board. I mean, at every position, you know, it's just up by about 0.2 to point, you know, four X, you know, I do think you have actually pretty good outs for a game script that Kansas city actually wins, you know, even by like a full touchdown. And it still makes sense to have, uh, you know, a slightly Tampa Bay heavy, lineup uh you know if pretty much it plays out similarly to how it did in the regular season where kansas city's production comes in a super condensed fashion where uh you know hill or kelsey get multiple touchdowns uh maybe mahomes rushes in a touchdown or there's some fringe player uh that scores that you know not owning isn't going to kill you um you know tampa bay does kind of spread the ball around more it could work out we're going something like uh, you know, two Kansas City guys, three Tampa guys, and maybe captaining, you know, your Kansas City pass catcher who you think will have a super condensed uh, share of Kansas City's production, you know, could be, I think, a winning route. And of course, that I think three bucks versus two Chiefs obviously plays well for the 
uh, outcome that I think people might underestimate and that Tampa Bay actually wins outright. Um, so I do think, you know, between maybe popularity among Kansas City uh, players and just that there are more outs with that, um, you know, higher multiplier side of Tampa Bay. I do think there are, there are paths to uh, kind of considering like three uh, box, even four box um, and one chief. Um, I don't know what, what say you guys on the, the idea of skewing towards Kansas city, even preparing for a can uh, I'm sorry, skewing more towards Tampa Bay, even for a game script that, you know, is favored towards Kansas city. I love it. I mean, that does, I was looking at the running quarterbacks. I was looking at the running backs and then I said, hmm, Tampa Bay looks like the play to me in a lot of regards, especially if the game theory shifts towards the chiefs, which I think intuitively uh, for people who are playing super draft for the first time, they're, you know, used to just the, you know, standard salaries and they're thinking, okay, I want to prioritize Mahomes, Kelsey Hill. And obviously those are great plays, but the multipliers on these Tampa Bay guys are very enticing to me. And yeah, I think there's a real path where you want those guys and there's a variety of game flows where they can win. So to me, especially if you're getting ownership equity there as well, uh, I think it's really compelling and specifically on the running backs, which I know that's BA's you know, intuition and what he thinks is a really interesting strategy here uh, as we record this early in the week. Um, I, there's a lot of ways to go. And that's what's so cool about this format. I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to Super Draft. And again, it's so exciting that we have another option. And um, I was initially, you know, you, your first instinct on this is I'll just put Mahomes, Brady, Kelsey Hill, Godwin, or whatever in there. And you start thinking about all the combinations. There's a lot of ways you can go. And I think it's a tremendous format for the Super Bowl. So one last thing, um, tight ends. Okay. You're playing a lot for touchdown equity. I personally think that in the 4k, I will avoid tight end, even, even Kelsey and Gronk. Even Kelsey. Okay. Of course, of course, um, with Gronk, you need touchdowns in this format. And I would just rather bet against it personally. Like I, I, I just believe that one of my stances will be uh, anti tight end. You have any interest at Brait though at two four? I mean, I think he's got a massive multiplier. Has been up over a ten percent target share in uh, each of the Bucks playoff games. I wish there was more separation between. Gronk and Brait and pricing. Um, but I mean, especially if Brown's out, like I don't think Brait has a totally insignificant role. Um, they do tend to like using him close to the goal line. Um, for me, he was kind of a deep, deep play uh, that, you know, stood out to me. We don't have him projected very favorably, um, but I do think he has non-zero touchdown equity. Um, his targets have been up in the playoffs um that was i think one tight end i was kind of interested in um are there any like deeper deeper plays i mean i know we touched on walk-ins as a plus a two plus multiplier and are there any kind of high multiplier guys that um really on either side you guys have particular interest in i want to bring up one other thing that i think is interesting um and it's correlated with what you just asked uh i do think it's interesting on the tight ends and some of the high-end guys 
Uh, I think Antonio Brown being in or out is massive. I assume Watkins is going to be in. We'll see what happens with Demarcus Robinson. I reference the sweeps. I think McCole Hardman's another really interesting guy. But going back to the onslaughts, and one topic that we've kind of danced around, but we haven't dove into is the kickers. I mean, you know, some of these games are going to play out. Uh, you know, there's a chance, you know, where we see like a uh, 26 to 17 game that the Bucks win with, you know, a bunch of field goals. Um, or, you know, a game where they're really running the ball effectively, keeping Kansas City off the field or the offensive line for Kansas City is getting overwhelmed by the defense or vice versa. Maybe Kansas City's defense shows up in a really big way and uh, Tampa Bay's offense isn't effective. And there's these scenarios that are fringe outcomes. And I think we saw in these other showdown formats is people really don't like to play kickers. It shifted a little bit, but they're saying, if I want to win first place, I don't want to play kickers, but there's ranges of outcomes where the kickers are certainly in the winning lineup uh, with these multipliers. And if they're going to come in really low owned, like, I don't know. Do you guys see a scenario where the kickers are championed? Like what are the, what are, how often are the kickers championed in this format? Well, um, I will say that it, it leads to some good sweats with the high multiplier because uh, when you, um, the difference between the 48 yard and the, and the 51 yard uh, field goal is, is massive. I personally think that it's a very, very low probability that the kicker would be champion. Agree, but will I anyone would, do it? Will there be one person who puts in a, a kicker at champion? Um. In the 4K, I would wager that there will be zero kickers in champion. I yeah, think you start I think, running some sims and like I don't. I, I I agree. It's not. I mean, it's probably. You know, I don't know what the percentage. It's probably extremely low. The, the problem is that because the multipliers on the other guys, um, one of whom that's likely to hit, is also high. That's yeah. the problem. That 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 you have high multipliers on like really quality people. I think. I think kicker strategy in short for super draft is that kind of when you're constructing lineups, it would be, it would be a reasonable starting point to assume that your champion ownership will roughly correspond with the probability that the person is in fact the highest scoring champion on the slate. So you could just sort of make your own estimates of what you think that is. And that's, a reasonable guess for the champion. Um, if you're playing someone who perhaps is, let's just say, 8% to win the champion spot, let's just say you're playing Godwin, okay? Um, then I think you can be more inclined to play kicker and just take the points. You know what I mean? Because most of the time, they're just going to have healthy points. Um and if you're playing a champion that is maybe 20% like Mahomes, then be less inclined to play kicker because a middling outcome is not likely to get it done there and you probably need to be more likely to hit. Um, but, but the kickers, I think, in this format are very valuable for just like filling up one of your five spots with some raw points and winning elsewhere. Right. Especially if they're going to come in low owned. I mean, that's my, like I played, you know, I've, I've had moderate succession showdown. I think I have a super small ROI specifically because I had one really great night with Kittle at captain, but for the most part I've lost. And I think I initially had some edge because I wasn't playing kicker 
I wasn't playing kickers with uh, the kind of higher payout, like top, more top heavy price structure when kickers were owned. And then there was almost a shift where all the content providers in DFS started saying, hey, the range of outcomes for kickers aren't what you want with these showdown lineups. You need to be doing this. And then they became really under owned. And then those games where, you know, there's the four or five field goals would play out and, and kickers are on the, the winning lineup. So it's really interesting to see that. And I feel like with this new format, everyone's going to look at it and they're like, I want to, you know, obviously you need to pick the five highest scoring players, most likely, especially in the cheaper stuff. You have to have the perfect lineup. But uh, in the 4K specifically, I think people are just going to gravitate towards like these really high upside guys. And not every game plays out where all these players have, you know, there's five really high upside scoring players. And, you know, there's scenarios where Tyreek Hill or Kelsey or one of the running backs have like a huge game. The secondary players don't have great games and the kickers get a couple field goals, extra points when their multiplier end up being in the winning lineups. So I don't know. That's, that's a yeah, more of a game. Actually, I, I'm looking at it. Maybe I, I, I think, I think it is actually possible for them to win. Stuart, what, what's your intuition on that? I mean, um, cause like a three forty yard, a three forty plus yarder is asking for a lot, but it's possible right like and it's correlated to the other guys not scoring touchdowns which this site super draft skews much more like DraftKings skews heavily towards like receptions the 100 plus yards all these different things where it's even harder for the kickers this site is not the case I mean, it's half point per reception so yeah sorry i didn't mean to interject there oh all good i mean i think you make a good point about ownership like i feel like kickers garner the ownership that they do in DraftKings, which is I think low to begin with simply through their, the salary relief utility that they provide, right? Like few people are super excited about playing a kicker, but they are excited about playing Mahomes and Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, or, you know, the two best Tampa Bay pass catchers in this format where you don't really need any conventional salary relief to get to those, you know, top tier players. I could see kickers going overlooked in a big way. Um, When we matched up the, actual outcome observed in week 12 to the current pricing. I mean, this was a game where obviously Tyreek went nuclear. Both quarterbacks had strong games. I think both went over 303 touchdowns. Um, you know, I think Ronald Jones and some of the pass catchers had productive games. I mean, we still saw kickers, you know, sneak into 25% of the top 20 lineups. To me, that seems like a pretty high number given, you know, a game where a lot of guys were super productive. I think Gronk caught a touchdown. Um, so, you know, I do think there are routes to kickers being in the winning lineup. Um, I'd have to really think about kicker as a champion, um, would seem that you get pretty solid differentiation simply with kicker in your lineup at all. Um, have to give the good think about a kicker as a champion, but yeah, they do have high multipliers on them. And, you know, if you hit, if you have a guy like Butker, uh, you know, both kickers, I think are good kickers, uh, and you have routes to, you know, multiple 40, 50 yard field goals. Um, I do think they're in play in a big way. Yeah, the Currently, is hard you... to get behind. But, uh, and lots, I want to just correct, not even correct, but I didn't reference. There's still the, there's two point bonuses for 100 yards rushing, 100 yards receiving, 300 yards passing, which is, you know, uh, it's two thirds of what it is on DraftKings. But the point per reception specifically uh, is big for the pass catchers. Um, so the touchdowns are really important. And that's where, the kickers are a little bit more valuable to me initially uh, 
given the, the scoring. But like you said, a lot of people play kickers on DraftKings because they're super cheap, which allows you to get everything else. There's no salary restraints on SuperDraft. But right now, um, I think our optimizer is kind of going to these high multiplier guys more than most people intuitively would. And our optimizer, if you if you run the top hundred optima uh, top hundred optimals, we've got suck up in four percent champion and forty five percent super flex. Wow! So we love we love kicker there, um, and we have Butker in zero uh, champion and thirteen percent super flex. So so we're kind of we're kind of high on them. I mean, those are those are optimal. I, like I have those, to think uh... about. I like those projections because I do feel like there's a sense here. And I know we, we talked a lot about the offensive line and, and I get that they've been really exceptional. Mahomes is such a amazing player and give Andy Reid time. He's going to do things to take, he, he's going to understand, Hey, we have a mismatch of offensive linemen, even more so than we've had in the past. Now that Fisher's gone, let's get our best players in space. And there's a lot of ways we can stretch the field. That being said, I still think there's some scenarios that are, People aren't thinking about where Tampa Bay really started playing great defense at the end, and they have a really strong front. And if they just dominate the line of scrimmage, there are some scenarios to me where Tampa Bay wins this game by 10 plus points, and I could see the kicker uh, doing well. And, and, and I, that's where my assumption would be: there's a there's a better chance that suck up with the champion than, than Butker, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that's where our projections are for sure. So um, to wrap up. Uh, at the spread, what's what's your side if forced to pick, Pete? Uh, so I've been I'm I'm heavily in the arbitrage game. Uh, have bet well into the six figures on the Super Bowl, and I have both sides. Uh, I've got a lot of Tampa Bay plus three and a half. I have some Kansas City at three. Uh, just for those I mean that are listening out there, line shop. Tons of sports books have run promotions, big free promotions. Some books are moving the line based on action. Uh, if I had to choose at the current big free price, man, I originally would have said Tampa Bay for sure, which is my initial lean, especially when it's three and a half. Now that it's three, that's what I make the game. So I'm, I hate to ride the fence, but three and a half for sure. I like Tampa Bay. Yeah. All right. Well, I like KC. So that's what makes the world go around. Um, anyway. I, intuitively, um, I like Kansas City. The numbers, the numbers are spitting out some Tampa Bay though, which is interesting. Um, well, anyone who's value shopping, uh, hit up super draft. It's going to be overlay city this weekend. Um, Pete, thanks so much. This was huge. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. And it's, it's fun to, to get in your guys head steward. It's always fascinating. Keep up all the great work. You guys are doing an unbelievable job at advanced sports analytics. And, uh, it's been fun to watch the, the growth that you guys have had and obviously, uh, thrilled for you guys personally, uh, on the deal and, uh, super draft is is a competitor to that uh, the DFS industry de uh, desperately needs and it's fun I mean I remember the glory days of tons of overlay the overlay has basically been gone and super draft is bringing it back and uh, it's a great time for the Super Bowl and are you guys go both going to be in Vegas yeah oh man I've this done it I've already done it three times so for me I, I it, it is a little COVID concern but um, I've faded it so far in Vegas yes Wait I saw the I saw the advertisement. So, do yourself a favor and look up the YouTube video. Uh, Super drafted a nice little promo. 
Yeah, and look, I live in Miami. Um, it's pretty likely to get COVID here. And so I feel like traveling to Vegas is not too much extra risk for me. We'll see. Yeah, well, kudos again, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, chat soon. Thank you.